Our guest today is Tartan head coach Mark Klingsporn. Coach, thanks a ton for coming on today. My pleasure. I know we first time I ran into you or talked to you, I remember it was about a month after I got the head job at Princeton. I don't know if you even remember this. You probably talk to coaches all the time, way more than I do. It was up, you were running the breakdown tournament up in Grand Rapids. Uh, and it was like, again, month after I got the job. And I think I talked to you between every single game, just kind of picked your brain. And then I remember one of our conversations got, uh, got interrupted because Rhett McDonald at Duluth East got kicked out of the, of the summer tournament game. So you had to go do admin <laughs> administrative duties for that. But yeah, I mean, just someone that I've really talked to and never we've crossed paths. We've always chit-chatted and uh, I've learned a ton from. So hopefully people listening will uh, walk away with a, a wealth of knowledge from listening to you today. Well, I hope I can give a couple things. <laughs> I'm sure you will. All right. The way we start this is uh, your coaching Wikipedia page. So tell us where you're from, where you played, and then your coaching journey to this point. Well, I'm actually a 1976 graduate of Tartan High School. I played for Fred Schmeezy there, so I'm coaching at my alma mater. Um, and uh, um, learned a lot from uh, my ex-high school coach, as we all did as players. And, uh, but even before that, I got my coaching career started as kind of an odd thing when I was 13 years old. Uh, my brother Todd uh, was playing t-ball at the time, and they had no parent that volunteered to coach the team. My brother Todd's now a high school basketball referee. You may or may not have had him. And, uh, and I volunteered to coach. So they were wondering why we're going to let this 13-year-old do this. But nobody stepped forward. So we actually had practices in my yard. Uh, we had the biggest yard in the neighborhood, and uh, the parents would drive the kids to rather than drive them to a practice field, they drove them to my to my house and would sit and watch and and uh, we'd have practice t-ball practices there. So I kind of had a passion for coaching way back in thirteen or when I was thirteen years old and had a blast with it. So, anyways, graduated from Tartan in '76. My very first year out, I actually volunteered and helped uh, assist our B squad uh, basketball team. Uh, and then I went back to playing for uh, two years. I played at Lakewood Community College um, for two years, way back when Flip Saunders was coaching his very first job at Golden Valley uh, Junior College when that was in existence. So I actually was a player. I'm kind of dating myself here. I was a player way back then uh, when Flip was getting his first job at Golden Valley. So I played at Lakewood for a couple of years. Um, and then I came back to coach at Tartan High School um, starting in 81-82, uh, uh, um, I coached there as an assistant for seven years. I did five years as a freshman coach and a couple years as a JV coach and, uh, and really enjoyed my experience, especially doing that, fr that freshman job, you know, kind of being your own guy for the first time and had some really great teams there. So I did that for seven years. And then uh, in 88-89 that season, I uh, became the head coach at North High. I actually, uh, uh, the same year Tartan opened up and I was on their staff and I wanted a Tartan job, but they had an in-building person um, that uh, was hired for a job. I applied for the job. The athletic director, who's actually the athletic director at both schools, North High and Tartan High School, because we're in the same district, was a guy named Roy Ward, who was in charge of our state officials for the longest time. Um, he said, hey, I can't give you this job at Tartan. He goes, Bobby Knight can walk in here right now and I have to give it to this you know, I have to give it to this in-building guy. So then the North job opened up about three weeks later. He called me, uh, asked me if I was interested. Originally, I said no. Um, and uh, he convinced me to take it. So I was there for four years until uh, 92. 
and then since 92, 93, I've been uh, the head coach at Tartan for 28 years. So um, I did an assistant job at Tartan for eight, uh, head at North for four, and I've been head at Tartan for 28. Uh, during that time, uh, I also um, uh, coached 14 years of high school football. Um, uh, actually coached a year in the old Pillsbury Pro-Am League with a guy named Kwame McDonald who ran that with Clem Haskins. And uh, I had guys like Walter Bond on my team. And I remember playing at Williams Arena uh, in front of about 3,500 people and won the championship game um, in that league. So that was a, a great experience. Uh, and I also started Minnesota Select, which is the very first high school AAU team in 89. Uh, we started that, uh, Larry Ronglin, in the summer of 87, called me up, asked, uh, he was in Lexington, Kentucky at a tournament, says, hey, we got to do something like this in our state. So I uh, talked to Roy Ward, our athletic director, who also worked uh, with the State High School League, asked them if something like that was feasible, and it was not. They did not allow kids to um, participate on uh, in high school on any type of team like that. Uh, so um in 88, 89, they, 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 uh, that, during that school year, they had a meeting uh, like in April and they passed it where you could play on teams like this. So we put together a team real quickly in 1989, uh, which was the very first high school AAU all-star team in Minnesota. And on that team was Paul Sather, who's now the, uh, was the Princeton guy. Yeah, Princeton guy. So it's kind of unique that we're talking on the phone with Princeton guy who's now the head coach at North Dakota. He was on my team. So I actually coached Paul uh, in uh, AAU basketball. So we did that for 10 years uh, until I got out of that when we were able to start to work with our own kids in the summer and high school stuff. So I kind of got out of that. So that's kind of my coaching and playing career. So it's, it's safe to say, and yeah, you're probably me humble here, but uh, AU is where it's at today, partly because of the work that you did way back when, kind of setting up that foundation and also um, getting putting that on the radar with the high school league. Yeah, you know, eventually somebody would have done it. That, there's no doubt about that. We just happened to be the first one. Um, uh, we were proactive on it. Uh, like I say, Larry saw it in 87. We decided we were going to go with this thing. And um, it was met with some resistance at first with uh, the, the old NCC league, the guys in St. Cloud and Mankato, because a lot of the kids in Minnesota were hit at the time and not going to, um, to play at some of, the, uh, some of these colleges. And it wasn't the big-name kids, you know, that were, that were missing out. It was like those kids that were going to Fairfield and Siena and, you know, places like that um, that were normally NCC players are now getting Division One scholarships. So uh, they were not very receptive at first. Uh, uh, the people in the, the, the state of Minnesota in regards to some of that Division Two basketball, because that was a great Division Two conference and still is. Um, but um, somebody would have done it eventually, but we just happened to be there at the right time, I guess, at the right age. So how has the AAU game changed? I know from people that are listening to this probably think of the, you know, the EYBL or the other, uh, you know, shoe leagues, or if you think locally with the prep hoops tournaments and, um, you know, the, the Comet, shoot, Comet Showcase and all that stuff. How, I mean, what did AAU look like in the 90s versus compared to what it is today? Well, I'm not sure what it did, whether it's doing in other states and how they select the teams. I know that we started out by having trials. Uh, we had a very, we shot a bunch of uh, uh, just, this is old snail mail. There were no cell phones. There were no uh, 
you know, there was no emails, any of that stuff. We did snail mail, you know, just emailed, uh, excuse me, mailed out to a bunch of the uh, larger schools in the metro area, hit some of them in the outstate, and just tried to see how many kids we could get there. So I remember we had 19 kids try out the very first year, and we had 11 players that we chose. Again, Sather was on that group. You know, and through the years, you know, we always did it that way where we had tryouts, but now it's got to a point where teams are all hand-selected, which is a obviously a huge difference. And if I was doing it nowadays, I'd do it the same way the guys are doing it now. We'll go out and hand-pick guys. So, I mean, it's just evolved into, you know, going from a tryout to, um, you know, hand-pick team, which is the biggest thing. And then obviously the second part of this that's just monstrous is the social media part of it. You know, there's no kid that's going unnoticed. Um, you know, with all the, you know, the ability to be on social media and, you know, highlight films and all that stuff. You know, back then, uh, honest to God, back then I would type up a letter and I said, type it up on a typewriter, right? And it had all the kids' uh, information on it, their name, their address, you know, their phone, their home phone number, the high school coach's name, his home phone number. And like when we were at these events, we would get lines of coaches that would come to see us, right? And I had this I had my backpack with me, my shoulder bag, I should say. We didn't have backpacks back then. Uh, and would hand each one of these coaches a roster that's got all the player information on it. Um, so, you know, obviously the, you know, the technology piece has changed this thing tremendously. That's, that's crazy to think of. I mean, just how much, you know, the college coaches go to an AAU tournament now and they get a packet pre-made and all printed yep. everyone's, everyone's information that you actually had to type it up yourself carry it with you and then go advertise for yourself. Just, it is a completely different game. Um, I want to switch gears and, and go back, you know, go towards your uh, uh, coaching at Tartan. And I know we've talked about this before, but I want you to uh, explain or to those that are listening, what you did with your booster club uh, when you took over in 1992. Oh, you remember. I do. Uh, I, this was, this is something I think about all the time. You remember. Um, we had a boost. We had kind of a comprehensive booster club. It was a, uh, I think it was seven through 12 at the time. So they're helping run some traveling basketball, uh, which was just kind of starting out at the time, quite frankly. Um, I was actually a member of that booster club. I was actually the vice president of it. And I was an assistant coach at the time. And um, I didn't like how the booster club was evolving. Anytime our head coach was not there, you know, when the meeting was officially over, it ended up being a lot of guys hanging around and end up being kind of a coach bashing, bashing session. In other words, questioning the coach, what he did on Friday night, why did he do this? And I just thought it was um, inappropriate that people were gathering and using that forum to kind of, you know, and they, that wasn't the design of the, 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 the forum. It was trying to help kids and, and raise money and do some really good things for the kids. But, you know, when that thing was officially over, those guys ended up uh, doing some things that I was not comfortable with, um, I didn't like. So um, when I got the job, um, the, you know, the very first meeting I had was with that parent booster group. Uh, and my brother Todd was actually on that board at the time, too. The one that I mentioned was a high school official. Uh, um, and when you're an assistant coach, everybody loves you. Uh, you know, they think that you're the next guy in line and you're going to be the greatest guy around. And, you know, so, um, you know, when you're the head coach, you got to make all these tough calls. So my first tough call was I had a booster club meeting. And in the meeting, I, you know, I said, well, I really, I'm only having this meeting for one purpose. I want this group to dissolve. And all their jaws just dropped. 
Um, I could have got myself in some hot water right away, but I thought it was the right thing to do. And they said, well, won't you need our help? And I said, yeah, I'll need parent help. I'll need parent involvement. When I pick, and when I do, I'll, I'll pick up the phone and I'll call. Um, but um, I didn't tell them what I, you know, the reason, real reason I didn't want to do it because I thought it was an opportunity to question coaches and what they're doing. But at the same time, I wanted to be the kind of the guy that was in charge of, of all that. I wanted to be in charge and in control of the program and not have a booster club where we had some, um, some adults getting together and thought they were powerful enough to, to, to make some changes and some policies and things like that. So um, I, I, they, I don't know how much money they had in there, but I had already purchased some new uh, uniforms. So I said, I don't want any of the money. You guys can do what you want with it. I slid a bill across the table. If you're interested, here's our new, uh, our, our new uniform bill. Um, and uh, they, they dissolved. I mean, I, I just didn't use them. So it's kind of an interesting that, way to start my coaching, my high school coaching career as a head coach. So I think you're so far ahead of the game with that. And we have a booster club, you know, they're supportive and they're great. But I think that when you see so much now, coaches stepping down, coaches being forced to resign, administration getting rid of coaches, a lot of time it is those parent groups that, not all of them, I mean, I'd say the majority of these parent groups across the state do have good motivations in mind and are and very supportive of their program. But it is that small minority or the vocal minority of those groups that, like you said, have little extra power, think that I'm more than just a regular parent. I can go to the AD, I can go to the school board and say, hey, I want a new coach because I'm on this booster board. So I just think it's really, really, really um, progressive coaching mentality at that time. Yeah, you know, I, I thought it was one of the best ways for me to – to start out and say, okay, I want to do this for a while. I want some longevity in this. And I think that that was uh, a way to go about it. Um, I do know that being involved with uh, kind of the, the reshifting of our traveling association, I actually had this happen where the guy that was named the traveling president at the time actually came after my job at one time and pretty viciously. So um, by the sheer fact that he did that kind of justified what I did the very first time with the high school booster group. So um, I'm not sure if that's, you know, a big part of it, but it felt like the right thing to do at the time. So you mentioned your youth association. What does yours look like? How have you built that program up over the years? And then how do they uh, uh, work as a feeder program to your high school 9 through 12 program? Well, you know, I've been pretty fortunate to have a couple of guys through the years, actually three people through the years that were, that were really, really um, invested um, two of the guys, one of the guys that's just stepping on his shoes, a guy named Dwayne Boris and another guy named Dave Landy, both did this well past their own high school kids playing, their own child playing. Um, so a lot of times we know that these people are involved, obviously, because their own kids are involved, which is a common thing, right? But these guys were so invested in the kids and did such a great job with it. So I was really fortunate to have um, – uh, Dave Landy, Dwayne Boris, Kathleen Ryan, all involved. Those most three presidents uh, that of our of our traveling associations were really strong, strong individuals. So you know, part of this is surround yourself with good people. You know how that works, and uh, you know we are lucky to have those three people. And I think those those were the keystones uh, to that to the success of our traveling program. So, what challenges do you have? I know um, you know. We- 
I, I, I you hear through the grapevine. We're a few miles away from you, but I know, you know, you get to down to the, you get down the Metro, the private schools, uh, I'm not here to bash private schools by any means, but the private schools don't have their youth associations. Right. And so I'm sure every Metro school probably loses kids to private schools. And so, and we don't need to say, we don't need to say any specific programs, but how do you, or what kind of challenges go into having a youth program where, you know, not all of your kids are going to end up playing for you? Well, um, you know, the, the traveling program is what it is. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a program for kids in your area, right? So, you know, those kids all deserve an opportunity to play and a place to play. And, and you know, sometimes we have kids in there that um, we know are coming to Tartan. Sometimes we have kids in there that we know are not coming to Tartan. And sometimes we have kids in there that are on the fence. And hopefully we can convince them to come to Tartan. But, um, you know, there are challenges uh, in – in the metro area, um, I, I kind of actually envy guys like yourself who coach in a rural setting where my guys are my guys, right? Mm -hmm. You know, my Princeton guys are my Princeton guys. And I think that's, you know, I know that, you know, when they're in the elementary school, here are the kids I got coming up and through. And you're not going to lose kids to other schools. And it isn't just private schools. It's public schools, too. So it yeah. used to be that way. But it's 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 public schools now, too. So. I always say there's two kinds of coaches. If so, if you hear this out there somewhere, you know it's probably came from me. There are two types of coaches in today's world. There's ones that are trying to get their players better, and there are others that are trying to get better players. Um, I try to, you know, we try to make sure that we're, you know, working really hard every day to get our players better. Um, there are a set of guys that uh, really, you know, really feel that that's important to do. You know, the, how they come across, how they sell their program you know, what they do to get better players. And obviously when you have better players, you know, you've got better teams. So we've lost to some of those teams. We've competed against some of those teams that, you know, when you line up and play them, they just have better guys than you do. Um, so, uh, you know, all you can do is every day is go to work, try to do the best you can with your own program, try to run the best program you can, and hopefully people will stay uh, within within your program. And maybe you, you even attract a couple of kids by just doing the right thing. But, there's a difference between running a high school program and coaching your team the hard way and running the program the right way versus actually trying to physically active go out and give guys. So I prefer to do be that that first guy, the one that has that 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 peer respect, which is the most important thing we have as coaches, right? We're a community and um, you know, we're trying to support each other. Um, when there are guys that are in tough spots, you know, potentially losing their jobs. You know, how, how do we support each other? I remember Jim Dimmick was on the hot seat at Richfield, and and I was one of two high school coaches. Willie Brazil and myself showed up at a hearing for him, and I, I went there to support him uh, against the parent group that was being pretty vicious against him, trying to get rid of him. So, you know, if we're not supporting each other as coaches, who is? You know, so we have a community here, and, and you know, we develop, we develop friendships and relationships that go far, far deeper than the game of basketball, even amongst us coaches, you know, from, from school to school and within our own coaching staff. You know, so if you don't have peer respect, you know, you're not doing it the right way, you know, then I, I don't think, you know, you, you have a whole lot. So you talk about peer respect. What are some of, the, of your other coaching core values that you have? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I, I – you know – there's a lot of things that go into coaching a high school basketball team and running a high school basketball program. And there are so many different levels and layers to doing things the right way. Um, you know, I just think that, you know, and I get, I get down to this, you know, when I describe the term discipline, 
you know, discipline is doing the things the right way and doing them the right way all the time. Um, so, you know, I, you know, the core values that we have are, you know, that we're going to be a hardworking team. You know, we're going to outwork the other team. You know, that's our number one core value. You know, we always call it tart and tough. Um, you know, we're really going to try to, you know, outwork the other team in many ways. That includes me, you know, starts with me, you know, like how am I outworking my opponents? You know, what kind of competitive edge am I trying to get? Um, so, you know, I think that we're going to be kids that, you know, work hard. Um, the second thing is we're going to be kids that play together. Uh, you know, you know, that whole play hard, play smart, play together, but we're going to play together. You know, we're going to try to, you know, try to play together better than your team plays together. It's not a one-on-one competition. It's a five-on-five competition, and it's not even that. It's an 18-on-18 competition. Um, you know, we're going to try to do it better than, than you guys. My group of guys better than your group of guys. So that togetherness thing is and that whole fist of five is, is you know, that, that, that whole togetherness thing is so, 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 so valuable. And then, you know, there's, you know, that whole piece about developing these kids, you know, both as a person, uh, uh, to be respectful, responsible young people, but also their the academic values and the value system that you try to give them. You know, that's, you know, that's, I think, a key component to this, because we all know the better the kids are that we have, not just the better the players, but the better the kids are that we have, the easier it is to coach them, the easier it is to get them to play together. And it just has a much more positive feel to it. So I would say those are my three values that we're going to outwork somebody, um, that we're going to do this thing the right way academically and trying to teach them to be, you know, respectful, responsible um, uh, young men. And we're going to try to get them to play together. How have you built a winning mentality in your program, uh, even on some of the years where you haven't had as much talent? Um, I think that goes back to that hard work stuff. Uh, you know, our job as high school coaches is to get, uh, you know, I always say there's three things that I have to do as a high school coach. Um, number one is I have to put the best product on the floor that I can minus behavior and academic issues, right? So, you know, we all going to face academic issues. We're all going to face behavior issues. My job is to put the best product on the floor, the best team on the floor I can minus those things. But I always tell my kids, you just hear me say this, best team. Not best individuals, best team on the floor. So I think that's that's job number one. Uh, job number two is is you know if I've got a kid that wants to play collegiately, that I have him ready. Whether he's playing at Eau Claire or whether he's playing at University of Minnesota, my job is to have that kid ready to to go play basketball afterwards. And the third part of this, you know, the, the third part of this is that. Uh, you know, we want kids to have a great experience. We want them to be able to say, you know, when they get to be a little older, like they look back at their high school career and say, hey, you know, I really had a good experience with that. So I think, you know, we're trying to do those things all the time. Um, so, and, and that's kind of a value system, again, that we have in place, that um, if kids are um, feel that the program is a positive thing, they value it, they'll always play hard for it, they'll always buy into what you're doing. So even in the years that you don't have as much talent, your kids are going to play harder than others uh, because they have they value their program. How do you build or gain that respect from your players? Because that isn't the – I mean, you talk to 100 coaches, you might have 50 to 75 coaches who feel like their players don't respect them. So how do you build that respect with your players? Well, we have to understand there's a difference between being respected and being liked. Um, some You can't worry about being liked. Uh, and I don't mean to say that in a negative way, um, but 
sometimes, you know, you have to, you have to put that aside because there's going to be times your kids just don't like you. Um, but at the end of the day, if they respect you, they like you because that you, you know, you, you did those things for them. You need to be honest. You need to be candid. My kids always think I'm the most candid guy around. I'm going to tell them the way it is. And, um, but I think they'd rather have it that way than turn around, you know, a couple months later, find out that you kind of lied to them or gave them some false hope or whatever. Um, so I think that you need to, you know, you need to be really candid with your kids and uh, understand there's a difference between liked and being respected. Um, if you're passionate about what you do, and, and I think that's kind of a good word to, to describe myself at times is passionate. If you're passionate about what your kids, what you do, your kids pick up on that and they'll respect you because you've put time and effort into it. They, my kids know that I'm every dang night of the week, I'm out doing something for basketball and every weekend I'm doing something for basketball, whether it's running fundraisers that help support them, you know, being out scouting the team for the fourth or fifth time and, um, you know, they know that you're out working and doing stuff, stuff. So they'll respect you for that if you're doing the right thing. Yeah, you hit on a, a big point there that I think a lot of coaches, um, you know, look past is that, you know, talk about players coaches, right? Everyone wants to be a players coach at times, but there is that, that line that you have to be, you know, between being respected and being liked. I think as, as a young coach myself, I fell victim to, oh, I want these kids to come to practice and like me. Well, you know, sometimes you got to chew their ass and you know, make, get them on their bellies to do some push-ups or put the team on the line if they're not meeting the expectations that you have. And it's not that you don't love them. It's not that you don't care for them. It's because you do love them and care for them that you want them to be the best version of themselves. Absolutely. It's kind of like being a parent, isn't it? Exactly, you know, you right? A, it's, it's, it's like being a parent. You love the hell out of your own kids, uh, but you also have to, you know, hold them accountable because you want them to be respectful young people, you know. So if you have a 12 o'clock curfew, on a given night and they come in at one o'clock, you know, they're going to have issues, you know, if you're doing it the right way. And they may not like you as a parent uh, for doing that, but you're doing the right thing because you love and care for them. Carrier said this, you know, he did the very first interview and he said something like uh, something along the line that, you know, that I might be misunderstood. Um, you know, the kids that, that are in our program, um, you know, they'll have times where again, they don't, you know, they're not happy or they don't like what you're doing because you're trying to push them to be great too. You know, if you're going to try to push somebody to be great, you have to kind of extend them past their limits. And, um, and uh, I think it's important that you, you know, that you're not afraid to do that. Um, Cause you're more, if you're more worried about being liked, you're not going to last that very long. So how do you know where that line is for each kid? I mean, you've been doing this, uh, like you said, I think you've been at Tartan for 36 years, 28 years as a head coach, plus the four years you're at North High School. So how do you know how hard to push each kid? Because uh, everyone's different, right? So how do you push them differently? Or how do you know how to push each kid differently? Well, I think that goes back to just getting to know who the kid is. You know, everyone's their own individual. Everybody's got a story behind them, right? Everybody's got a book written about them and has a story behind them. Uh, I remember one year, I coach, was coaching freshman football. I, I, I couldn't get through to this kid. Um, and I don't say in a, mean in a bad way, but he's real quiet and reserved and, you know, won't respond. I found out after the season that, uh, that a year before that, his, his, there was a double – there was a murder-suicide with his parents. And I was not informed of that. You know, like, and, and like oh, that's important information to know you know, something as that, as that drastic as that. So the more you know your kids, the more you can push your kids. Um, uh, the better, you know, you kind of have to know the right button to push with certain kids too, um, because some will, 
Some will not respond to that. Uh, some will. And I do think this, though. I do think that if your best player and your better players are the ones you can push the most, you're going to have a heck of a team. You know, just my two most recent guys, Antoine Kimmins and Jordan Horn, were the guys who were our best players, but the guys that I could push the most, too. Um, and the, the kids around would say, like, God, he got after our best guy like that. You know, geez, I better, I better kind of, you know, get myself going here a little bit. I need to be accountable also. So, but I think, you know, like, just have to get to know each kid individually. Um, some kids, you know, if you don't know them as well, you have to kind of, you know, kind of walk on some eggshells a little bit until you get to know them a little bit and then find out what you can do to push them on. So it's about getting to know the kids individually. You've built a program up that has had a lot of success uh, on the court. Obviously, you you know, seems like you guys win 20 games almost every single year. You have hundreds of wins. You've been doing this for a long time. But you've also built a successful academic program with some of the interventions and supports that you've provided. So can you talk about some of the academic investment that you've put into your program and the support that you have uh, for your kids that may be struggling in the classroom? Well, uh, first and foremost, I think it starts at the top with your administrators. You know, we've all heard stories about you know, coaches that eventually when they get into this thing, they find out they don't have administrative support when they have to make tough decisions, right? So, you know, through the years at Tartan, I've been blessed to have, you know, great principals and great athletic directors uh, to work for. Um, you know, so I've had administrative support. That's number one. Uh, number two is, you know, a few years back here, I was ready to hire another coach. And, you know, I was thinking like, I'm going to add another person onto my staff. And I thought like, well, what am I doing, dummy? You know, my biggest struggle I face right now is my kids, some of my kids academically. So I don't know if anybody else in the state has this. I haven't heard of it. I think we're maybe the only one, but I decided to hire myself, actually physically hire myself an academic coach where I fundraise and I pay that person. Uh, her name is Britta Dwyer. She actually works in our building as a math teacher. So I kind of got a uh, twofold thing there. I have an academic coach, but I also have a built-in math tutor also for our kids. So um, I think it was really important for me to get somebody to help assist with the kids and, uh, and their concerns and their, and their problems that they're having academically. Because as a teacher coach, and I will say I'm a teacher coach, I was a teacher first long before I was a coach. You know, what are we doing? Why do we, why do we have high school sports in place? You know, what are we really trying to get kids to do? This isn't about an orange ball going through an orange ring. It's about the lessons that kids are le learning from this. So I thought to myself, you know, I need to, I need to hire somebody that's going to help me out with these kids academically. So um, she's been a blessing. I, I'm, I'm telling you, she is phenomenal. Um, her energy level is off the charts. She does things with our kids. We have like academic teams she puts them in. So she divides the kids up by their GPAs and, and, and grades and puts them in these academic teams. And we have a challenge during the year. And then at the end of the year, you know, the team, you know, we have individual winners. We have, uh, we have team winners. You know, Coach K's got to open up his pocketbook and we take the top kids over to B-dubs. And usually my bill is about 300 bucks to uh, – buy all our academic winners, both the teams and individuals, a, a dinner and just say thanks to them for doing the right thing academically. So you have to throw some things like that in, but Britt has been huge for our academic uh, progress. You know, you know, the other thing is, you, you know, you have to first and foremost care about it. I mean, I think that these guys that are getting into coaching now, they can talk about how they care about their kids academically, but what are they actually doing for them? 
And I kind of jumped to the AAU guys a little bit about that. There's a lot of great guys that are coaching AAU, right? I mean, and we all know them and uh, really good people, guys that I call friends and stuff like that. But the biggest difference between AAU and high school is no academic accountability. And um, so, um, and they care and they want their kids to do well academically, but they're not there to actually put something in place to make sure that you know, they are doing that. Are, are there, is there a reward system like a, like a meal at B-dubs? Is there a, a, a punishment system, you know, a consequence system, I should say, where kids maybe have to sit? Um, you know, so you have to, you have to care about that the academic component, really attack it. And then, um, you know, you know, we have things in place, you know, we do progress reports for kids. We do, uh, you know, you know, calling and contacting parents of kids that are, in, you know, that are, that are struggling with some things. We have study halls and during our study halls, I don't know what it's like at Princeton, but at Tartan we have, uh, we don't have the greatest gym facility for practices. Game facility is great, but gym facility for practice is not great. So we have late and early practices. So anytime we have a late practice, I found out if I let cut the kids loose um, and not have them do anything from that three to five time frame that they're not taking care of some things. So we have a study hall every day that we have a late practice from three to four thirty. The kids are accountable to either be um, sitting in a in a room with me, you know, you know, working on homework, doing some peer teaching. Um, they have to be in the teacher directed activity. In other words, they're with another staff member, you know, maybe doing some lab work for a science class or getting special help in another class that they're trying to get help with, or they have to be in what's called our Titan Academy, which is a place that they can go and use computers to, uh, you know, do some research or write a paper or whatever. Cause we have kids in our, on our team that just don't have, you know, that at home. So it's their only time to do that. So, you know, we try to put all the pieces in place to help a kid succeed ac uh, academically. And, you know, and we use basketball as a tool for that. What are the academic standards you have? I know every program's probably different depending on where your socioeconomic is and what your schools, maybe it's their test scores or whatever the expectations are within that district for, um, you know, maybe it's more rigorous of an academic expectation than the high school league has set forth. Uh, so every district's going to be a little bit different, but what are your uh, academic standards that you have for your kids to be eligible to play for you? Well, there's kind of three levels to this thing. You know, first of all, the state high school league rule is, is really not even a rule. Um, you know, must be making progress towards graduation. I mean, how vague and how gray is that? Uh, but I get it. They cannot govern that statewide. It's just such a monstrous job. So they put it on the schools to take care of that, you know. And, you know, so, you know, then they got the school level stuff. And there are schools that I know um, that I know that, you know, are more rigorous in, in, in their requirements, you know, just up front. You know, here's your, your certain GPA that you need to have. Um, you know, here's credits that you need to have. Um, you know, so there are schools that are, you know, do a great job of that and ones that don't. I know a school, I won't mention who it is, who there isn't such. I have a friend that's actually working in that district now who says there isn't such thing as academic eligibility in this building. There's none. The administration won't even support you. If you, you want to sit a kid because of academics, they're just going to say, hey, the kid's in good standing in the school. He's, he's, he, can, he can play. So, you know, wow. there's, a school, there's a school level thing that happens, and then there's a program level things that happen. Some, some programs do a great job of it. Other programs uh, don't do so well. I know uh, 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 another school that I know of, we had a kid that graduated uh, 
we were wondering where he was at. He was a player. He's a pretty good player. We were wondering where he's at. And the kids were sitting around the gym talking about it. He goes, oh, one kid says, well, I know where he's at. And he goes, ah. he goes, well, he's in night school with me right now. And this was the fall after he graduated, was supposed to graduate. So he didn't <laughs> graduate on time. He didn't get it taken care of in summer school. And he was still doing it in the fall. And I go, how do you know that? And he goes, I'm in the class with him. <laughs> so we had a kid that was trying to do some credit recovery in the fall to be eligible to play. And he was in a class with this kid that was supposed to graduate the year ahead of time. So I find that kind of, you know, disappointing that programs, you know, allow kids to play that, you know, are not making academic progress. So in our school, we have a rule, you know, must be making progress towards graduation. And then you're supposed to, as your school, you're supposed to be able to describe what that is. Every school in the state is supposed to have a plan in place that says, what does that look like in your school? I was part of a, a, a committee that put together a plan for our entire school, uh, must be making progress towards graduation. Here's the minimum number of credits that they need to have going into your season. So we have that in place in our school, which is really good. Um, you know, there are opportunities for kids to gain credits back just like there are in any other school, you know, with credit recovery, you know, night school, summer school, that type of stuff. But kids have to be meeting a certain amount of credits um, when they start your, uh, your season. So I think that's really important. And then beyond that, what we do is we take kids uh, that are in season, we put them on progress reports, any kid that we feel needs to be on one. Um, whether it's a behavior issue, whether it's an academic issue, which is whether it's actually their grade, um, we put them on one. And if they're not taking care of their business, we'll suspend them for a game or two. And it's all kind of based on individual basis. But, you know, we put these kids on progress reports. And the biggest reason we do that is we can go and look at it ourselves. But sometimes um, we want kids to be accountable for their own grades and be able to present it to a teacher, a progress report. Hey, can you fill this out for us? At the beginning of the class period, pick it up at the end, say thank you. How do I go about saying please, may I thank you? Those empowerful words that we have. Um, you know, so, you know, beyond our school requirement, you know, we try to take that to a, another level within our basketball program by making sure these kids are all doing the right thing when we have them in, on our team. I love the accountability piece. I think that's been a, a failure with technology is that kids don't bring that sheet of paper around anymore to their teachers and uh, and get that instant feedback. A lot of these kids, I'll be like, our rule just quickly is, um, you know, we start try one, try two, try three, you know, with our, mm -hmm. our grading period. Basketball season, try two starts two weeks into the season. So we tell a kid, by the time the school year starts, you have to be passing our rules. You have to be passing all of your classes. You've had two and a half months. You knew you were going to play basketball. So you can't start until try two, just two, you missed two weeks of practice, if you aren't passing all of your classes. And that gets kids kind of, that holds them accountable in the fall when we don't have that time to work right. with them. Uh, but then once the season comes, generally speaking, right, we're going to we're gonna work with kids in different situations. Uh, but generally, if the kid's failing a class, we give them about a week uh, to get that grade up. If it's retake a test or turn in their missing work or whatever the case may be. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, you, we, I know I hear coaches that don't have much of a, uh, I'll follow through on that. But yeah, the, uh, anyways, I digress the, uh, the paper stuff. I just feel like kids just don't know their grades anymore. So my point being is when we tell a kid, Hey, you're failing English. What? I know I was failing. Yeah. The test yeah. was put in the grade book. They're like, how, what? but having that well, piece they go around, I think is so important. Well, I think, you know, that, you know, it's, you know, it's a tough job as a teacher too. And it may not have something that's entered that actually is turned in. So I'm an old school guy. I kind of like that old paper thing. Walk up to a teacher, 
please, my basketball coach tells me I need to fill this out. Can you please do this for me? I want him to have that little interaction because now it maybe kicks off something that a teacher wants to say, like, hey, you know, you need to get going on this, 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 and this, and I need you to get off your phone or I need you to stop talking to the person next to you. Uh, and then kind of hit them up at the end of the class period and say, thank you. You know, I always tell my kids the most powerful words in the world, world still are this, please, may I thank you. And I expect my kids to be doing that. To, uh, you know, like we'll take our kids to, on a trip and maybe some kid is, you know, we're in Duluth, you know, at some scrimmage, which we usually, you know, we've gone up there quite a few times. You know, we get something at a restaurant and, you know, the waitress, does, I said, you know, I, I kind of slap them along the arm. I said, hey, go say thank you. You know, so, you know, I want those kids to have those interactions because technology kind of cuts into those interactions sometimes. And, and you know, so it may sound a little old school, but I still think that's the most powerful thing to do is meet somebody face to face and talk to them. So for anyone listening, the plan here, uh, as long as coach is still, is still uh, on board with this, is waiting. You know, coach is a great defensive coach. I don't hear about his defensive X's and O's. We're going to hit a part two here after this uh, and try and get into the X's and O's, get a little more uh, coaching wonky with the – uh, stuff on the court. But last question here for uh, part one, coach, managing your staff. You've had some coach, coaches that you've worked, have worked for you that went on to have a lot of success. So how do you empower your staff uh, to use their strengths? Well, um, you, you know, I'm give them responsibilities and, and, and have them and be comfortable enough to step away from that and say, hey, that's what they do well. I want that uh, out of that guy. I want them to feel engaged. Um, I had a guy named Tarek Thomas who was uh, my assistant when we won, one of my assistants when we won the state championship. And he said uh, to me, he goes, you know, some people just make an assumption that when you're an assistant coach, you have a voice, right? And, uh, you know, that's just an assumption. That's not always the way it is. He goes, I truly felt like I had a voice at Tartan. Um, and I think a lot of coaches do a great job with that. Um, but I do think you need to empower your coaches. You know, I, I took my kid uh, years ago to a Mike, uh, to a Duke basketball camp, and I listened to Mike Krzyzewski talk to the campers. I uh, listened, listened to the speech when my son was like in eighth grade. And, you know, his big word was that he used during the whole time was empowerment. And, um, you know, of course, when he got 15 McDonald's All-Americans, you know, I suppose you can empower those kind of guys. But, you know, I think you need to empower your coaches and, and just give them responsibility. So I've got, I have to, I have to say this, you know, you don't have to, here's another one of my quotes, you know, you don't have to be the smartest guy, you just need to be smart enough to surround yourself with good people. And um, I think that the guys that we've had at Tartan um, have been really good. The two guys that jumped to mind, you know, the guys that are with me right now, Bill Fetch, He's kind of my guy that, you know, he takes care of all of our pre-practice stuff. He runs all the kids through all the warm-up stuff, uh, all of our shooting drills, all our individual skill development, which we do quite a bit of in season. Um, and then he runs all that stuff in the summer for us, too. In fact, he's so good at what he does, he is sought out by other schools uh, in the spring and the fall to kind of come in and do work with those guys. So Bill is really good that way. He's also kind of my energy guy. As I get a little bit older and we're doing that four-man shell drill uh, and the stuff that I used to, used to do in, within that four-man shell drill, and uh, he kind of takes over that. He's that energy guy, that one that really adds a lot to your practice in those ways. So, and he knows that he does a great job with that. Eric Brona is another one of my assistants. You know, he's in charge of our offense. He literally, our man offense stuff is all the things that he does. He, he saw something. He brought it to me. He goes, hey, I'd like to see us do this. I go, well, show him, tell me why. Tell me how and why this will work for our kids. 
And uh, it's something that I wish I would have done, you know, years ago. And, and it's really good. It's what we do right now. And, and um, um, you know, and he knows it. It's his baby. You know, like I'll build in my practice plan. We're going to we're gonna do 20 minutes of offensive work. Here's what you want to do. How do you want to break that down? So I just say 20 minutes, Eric, you know, you got this. So, um, you know, I let those guys, you know, within practices, you know, they need to be, they need to feel that way. And get, guess what? Those guys are both invested. And that's why they also feel empowered. Um, I'm lucky to have people that are invested, and that's why they feel empowered also. So you got them there. You're supposed to use them. Um, I can't see it all. I can't do it all. And, and those guys are important, important elements of our success. Well, that wraps up part one. Uh, thanks, Coach. We'll be back here with part two. Thank you.